0: Welcome to Crosslink. We are so thankful that you're here today to open God's word and to fellowship with us, to worship the Lord with us together. I'm so thankful for the video. I'm so thankful for the team that put it together, for the team that of course was there in Nicaragua, for the testimonies that we've heard from Al and from Amy of how God worked in their lives to overcome fears and anxieties, sometimes maybe even insecurities along the way, times of feeling that we're not enough. God worked through that in an incredible way in their lives and in that team. You're gonna hear more about that ministry uh, in the coming weeks, but I wanna encourage you today for our time together as we consider with that in mindset to take your Bibles and open them with me to the New Testament book of Acts, to Acts chapter 10 for this morning's message uh, for our time together here today. As you open God's word today, I wanna ask you to consider two specific questions in regards to missions, in regards to the calling that God has given us to go into all the world to take the good news of the gospel. Two questions to consider. The first question I would ask you to consider this morning is very simple. It's kind of reflective for you, and that is this. How did the good news of the gospel get to you? In your life, how did the good news that Jesus Christ came to this earth, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again, and that all who believes in him will be saved, how did the good news of the gospel get to you? Maybe it was a pastor at a church. Maybe it was a mother or a father. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was a friend who had a concern for your soul. How did the good news of the gospel get to you? But then the second question I would ask you to consider then is this How are you taking the good news of the gospel to others? How are you taking the good news of the gospel to others? The reality is this morning is that there are many of us here today, here in the service or maybe even watching on the live stream right now, there are many of us here today who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And the simple reality is, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you heard the gospel because the gospel was going forward. The gospel was going out. The gospel was going somewhere and you heard it. And having heard it, you were convicted and you came to your understanding of the realization that you needed. Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? How have you received it and what are you doing with it? Over the course of the last several weeks, we have been studying the book of Acts as a church and we have been looking specifically at the life of the early church and the way that they were committed. In fact, we see this early church in a very unique way because we understand that they were not And kind of like half in or half out, they weren't there showing up just when life was easy. They weren't there just showing up when it was some sort of a special service. No, they were there. They were truly in their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. They were also committed to in this group that we simply know as the church. That word church in the book of Acts literally means they are the called out ones. They were the ones who lived in the midst of the world around them. They heard the gospel message. They knew that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again from the grave. They believed in Jesus as Lord, and they were forgiven and they were saved. They were called out, if you will. Yes, they still lived in the world, but they were not to be like the world. Yes, they still lived in the dark culture around them, but now they were called to be a light in the midst of that dark culture around them. They were devoted to the Lord and they were devoted to his church. Now we've seen that in several different ways. We've seen already how they were committed specifically to experience Jesus and worship. From the day of Pentecost, we understand in Acts chapter 2 that the early church gathered together there at the temple that day and there they came to pray and there they came to praise God and to talk about the things that God was doing and there that day the Holy Spirit came and moved in an incredible way. 3,000 souls were saved, lives were changed, and from that point forward, we see all the way through the book of Acts, and even through Paul's letters, the early church were committed together on the first day of the week, they came together to experience Jesus and worship. They came to pray, they came to praise God, they came to study the apostles' teaching, and God moved in an incredible way, but that wasn't their only commitment. Because we find right after that that not only were they committed to experience Jesus in worship, but they were also committed to engage in community. God was working incredibly. 3,000 souls were saved and changed, added to the church in just one day. Can you imagine the scene? But they didn't just come together in that large group setting. The Bible says they also came together and they met from house to house where they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. In other words, yes, there was this large group coming together to worship God and to praise God and to hear the scriptures, but they also came together in a unique way in a community where they encouraged one another, they prayed for one another, they did life together, they studied the apostles' teaching, and in that community, God began to work and move. But then there was a third commitment. And that commitment was, as they did life together, they became aware of each other's weaknesses and each other's strengths. They became aware of the burdens. They became aware of the blessings. They became aware of the needs of people within the body. And the Bible says there was such a heart to serve and such a heart to bless and such a heart of, of generosity that they rolled up their sleeves and they got to work. And the Bible says of that the early church in Acts chapter 4 that literally there was not a single need among them because the needs were met as they edified and built up the body of Christ. It is a beautiful picture of what God, I believe, still wants the church to be and do today. They experienced Jesus in worship. They engaged in community. And then they were committed to building up and edifying the body of Christ. You know, there's an interesting statement at the end of every single one of those passages and at the end of every single one of those commitments. And the statement would be worded in different ways, but in essence, it would say this. And the Lord added to their number daily. And God moved and God saved. And daily the Lord added to their number What happens when a church, when a people are committed to experience Jesus and worship? You know what happens? God moves and God grows and adds to their number. What happens when a church engages in community and they do life together and they pray for one another and they build up one another? What happens? God adds to their number daily. But there's a fourth commitment we come to today, and that's the commitment we see in Acts chapter 10 on a message I simply want to call, embrace the mission. Embrace the mission. And as we study this passage of scripture, I want you to keep in mind those questions. How did the good news of the gospel get to me, and what am I doing to take the good news of the gospel to others? Acts chapter 10, if you're able, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Now, in our time together today, we've got a lot of scripture to read. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to break it up into two sections. We're going to begin reading first verses 1 through 23, and then I'm going to ask you today to hit the pause button. I'm going to ask you to be seated. I'll explain the verses, and then later on in the message, we're going to pick back up at verse 24. So please keep your Bibles open today. Here's what the Bible says in Acts 10. Now, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send there for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he'd explained everything to them, he sent them to the city of Joppa, verse 9. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, that is, about the noon hour. And shockingly, something happened at noon to him, which happens to us, and he became hungry, okay? Not hangry, hungry, And he was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance, verse 11, and he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it something strange, all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, For I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, verse 17, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who is also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings. For I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for which you've come? They said, verse 22... Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well-spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. On the next day, he got up, he went away with him, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. We'll finish the story in just a moment. Let's pray together. Father, we do love you, and we thank you for this morning, for this time we've gathered here together. God, I confess to you that I am incapable of making your word uh, so clear that we would all understand it in and of myself. But I pray through the Holy Spirit that you would make your word uh, very clear in each of our hearts and lives. Give us eyes to see what you want us to see. Give us ears to hear what you want us to hear. Give us hearts, Father, to humble ourselves. And God, I pray that we would surrender our will to you and obey you however you lead us today. Draw us to yourself and change us in whatever ways that are needed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. This morning, I want to preach to you on the subject, simply embrace the mission. Embrace the mission. We see all throughout God's word that in each of these commitments being made by the early church, the end result is that God added to their number daily. And we see that even in the context today of what took place in Acts chapter 10 as God was calling Peter once again to embrace the mission that he had for him. Please understand this morning that Peter and all the disciples clearly understand their mission. They understood what Jesus had commissioned them to do. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, Jesus made it very clear that the disciples, the followers of Jesus, were to go into all the world, making disciples in every nation, teaching them to observe everything that he commanded, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in fact, he even clarified and he said, This is to be done in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The disciples understood and knew that their primary calling was to take the good news of Jesus all throughout the world. Not only had Jesus told them what the mission was, he told them when the mission was. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, You will receive power. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be witnesses of me from Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, not only am I calling you to take the good news to the world, but I'm calling you to do this once you have received the Holy Spirit and you've been filled with the Holy Spirit empowered by Him. By the time we pick up Acts chapter 10, though, we are kind of brought into a simple reality that something seems to have been missing amongst Peter and these disciples. Because they knew God's calling upon them, however, they weren't yet fulfilling this great commission. Right now, in this moment, the gospel had only been preached in Jerusalem. And Right now, in this moment, the gospel had been largely contained in the area where, frankly, the disciples were a little more familiar and a little bit more comfortable. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that the early church had it easy. Uh, Peter and John had already been threatened not to talk about Jesus. They had already been told they couldn't do this. But Jerusalem was a little more comfortable to them than the uttermost parts of the earth. At least in Jerusalem, they knew about the surroundings and they knew some of the people and they knew how to have business and transactions. and, And there was a little bit more comfort if they stayed right there. But God never intended for the good news of the gospel to be only for the select few. He intended it to be good news for all. In fact, it wouldn't be good news if it was good news only for just a select few. But God had this good news to go literally even to the ends of the earth. And so in Acts chapter 8, the Bible makes it clear that God even allowed a persecution to take place amongst that early church so that the people would scatter and go throughout Samaria, and as they would go, they would share the gospel message. In Acts chapter 9, God radically saved the soul of a a man by the name of Saul that God would eventually raise up and call him to be a prophet to the Gentiles to the ends of the earth. But in the midst of that, in Acts chapter 10, God also did something profound and unique to show Peter and to show the early church and even us here today how much he values the mission, and more importantly, the people whose lives will be saved when they hear the good news of the gospel. I want you to consider this morning with me four truths about embracing the mission. Four truths about embracing the mission. Number one, if we're going to embrace the mission, we must first recognize the need for the gospel. We must recognize the need for the gospel, Please understand that Peter and the apostles understood the gospel message. The gospel is simple. The gospel is the truth that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world. That three days later he rose again from the grave and that thirdly all who believe in him will be saved. That is the gospel. Many times we get that confused. We like to add to that. We put our man-made creeds and agendas and all the good works that we add to it. But the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and simply our calling to respond by faith in Jesus Christ. Peter and the disciples understood that. But in this moment, they seem to have a lack of understanding about how that was needed beyond Jerusalem. It was needed to Judea and Samaria and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. Maybe you're sitting there thinking for a moment, well, pastor, if Peter would have a hard time embracing that mission, then then what hope is there for me? Well, don't get discouraged yet because I believe God has several things from Acts chapter 10 that will encourage us and will help us. To embrace the mission, we must first simply recognize the need for the gospel, and here's the need. Everyone needs to hear the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. Every single person, every person that you know right where you're sitting today, every family member, every co-worker, every parent on the soccer field, every person we know needs to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It is amazing as we share that simple message and people hear it, how God works in that to draw people to himself. I was reminded of that yesterday afternoon, I was asked to Uh, lead a marriage ceremony uh, yesterday afternoon here in our community. And so I went to that wedding ceremony and I was informed in advance that there would be many people there who did not know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so I made it my intent in the process of that wedding to talk about God's grace and to talk about salvation and how it's a gift that's offered, but we must receive it by faith. And, And after I shared in that small ceremony, there was one of the gentlemen that was there working at the wedding. He was providing a service. He pulled me aside and he said, Can I ask you some questions? And I said, sure. And so while the wedding party was getting pictures taken and other people were enjoying refreshments, he began to ask me some specific questions about Jesus and how I knew he was real and how he was real in my own life. Why was he doing that? He was doing that because he heard the gospel. And when people hear the gospel, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Romans chapter 10, Paul said it this way. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? For just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of great things. That's an easy understanding, isn't it? How are they going to believe in the one that they've never really heard about? But how are they going to hear unless a preacher goes and tells them? And at that point, the church sits back in comfort and says, That's right, preacher, that's your job. Go get them, buddy. We're right here behind you. But please understand the word for preacher that Paul used in Romans chapter 10 was a generic term that literally simply means to announce. God is looking for people to go to announce the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't for those who are preachers in title, those who've been ordained, those who have some sort of diploma on the wall. This is for any child of God who's willing and able to announce the good news of the gospel. In fact, I would say, you can go ahead and clap, amen for that. I would even go so far to say that in 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul says, every Christian is an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means we are a representative of him. That means when we go to Cracker Barrel like the sanctified do on Sunday mornings, that means when you go to the soccer field, that means when you go to your cubicle at work, that means when you go where you go, you are going not as a representative of your family, but as a representative of the child of God that you go with the good news of the gospel. What God is looking for, he's looking for people who are willing to be his messengers to share the good news. And we see in Acts chapter 10, the incredible need for the gospel. Where do we see that? We see it in verses one through eight in the story of a man by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius. Now think of this for just a moment. Cornelius did not grow up as a Jew. He did not know initially about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He didn't know of a promised Messiah who would come to take away the sins of the world. He grew up as a Gentile. He grew up in a pagan land being taught to worship all sorts of idols and gods and deities. And frankly, he had lived his life long enough to where he knew those things did not satisfy. And so the Bible says of him that here is Cornelius. He's a centurion. And I would say by every measurement we can imagine, he's a good guy. Cornelius is a decent man. He's hardworking. He apparently takes care of his family. He's looking out for their physical well-being. He's he's good to the people who work with him and for him. He's looking out for them as well. But we know from other passages of Scripture here in Acts chapter uh, chapter 10 that not only was he looking out for their physical well-being, he was concerned about the spiritual condition of their soul. Cornelius is a man who had lived his life with pagan religions. He knew those things didn't satisfy, so he began to study about the God of the Jews, the God of Israel. This God who established a covenant, this God who, who loved his people, this God who promised us into a Savior, he began to study. And not only did he study, the Bible says he began to pray to this God. So not only was he a good guy, but frankly, he was a God-fearing guy. He's reverent towards the God of Israel. But here's a simple reality. He was good, and he was God-fearing, but he was lost. He didn't know about Jesus. He didn't know what this death and resurrection meant. He didn't know how he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets. He didn't know. He simply didn't know. And so here he sits wondering and questioning and wondering what's the truth and how can I know this God and can my sins ever be forgiven? Will I ever have peace for my soul? He's questioning all these things. Please understand, Cornelius was like so many of us that that are good old boys in Virginia or good old girls in Virginia. He's like so many of us, frankly, we're good, decent, moral people. We even have reverence and fear for God, but without a relationship through Jesus Christ, we're completely lost. He was religious. But he was not redeemed and set free from his sin. And so in that context, God begins to move and speak. He gives Cornelius a, a clarity. Hey, hey, God God sends this angel to Cornelius. I want you to go send some people down to Joppa. Look for a man named Simon Peter. And at that same time, God begins working in the heart and life of Simon Peter. Why? Because God clearly understood the need for the gospel. The gospel is the good news. And if we don't have the good news, all we have is the bad news that we are hopelessly lost in our sin and there's nothing we can do to change our sin with God. We must recognize our need for the gospel. Secondly, if we're going to embrace the mission, we must also not only recognize our need, but we must also receive the call of God. We must receive the call of God. Now, to be clear, we understand that God had already called Peter and the disciples to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. They had heard it, they had listened to it, But I don't think at this point they had actually received it. You know why? Because they hadn't really yet acted on it yet. Now, Peter's preached the good news there in Jerusalem. In fact, he's preached it at least a few times at the temple that we know of from the book of Acts. But it hasn't gone from beyond there through Peter and the apostles. Say, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that they hadn't truly received it. Why? Because one of the evidences that you've received something is that you act on it. For example... How many of us as parents have been teaching our children something, we have given them some clear instructions, whether they're toddlers or whether they're in elementary school or even in high school, I don't know, but we give instructions and we tell them, and if they look at us with a blank stare, what do you interpret? You interpret they hadn't gotten it, right? Or if you explain it to them, you spell it out, and they go, they say they got it, they come back, and it's obvious they didn't respond to it, you know they haven't gotten it. Ladies, I imagine that if your husband calls you on the way home from work this week and he says, hey, sweetheart, can I bring anything home when I stop at the grocery store? And if, 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 ladies, if you give your husband a list and he comes back and he's missing half of it, (laughs) it's a strong evidence that he didn't receive your message. Jesus told them, be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And the disciples were like, all right, Jesus, we got Jerusalem down. We're good. They hadn't yet received the message. So God begins to do some things in Peter's life to let him know what he was doing, to help him receive really like the clarity of this call, if you will. So how did Peter understand what God was calling him to do? First, God spoke through what Peter saw. God spoke to Peter through what he saw. Now, please understand this morning, I am not suggesting to you that you need to be praying and asking God for a supernatural heavenly vision for you to know what God is calling and wanting you to do. In fact, I would say to you this morning that if we're in a place where we are demanding a heavenly vision to do what God has already called us to do, something is greatly wrong. In fact, I would even say and go so far to say, if you're asking God, would you give me a supernatural heavenly vision so I can know something? If you're seeking the vision itself, I want you to know you're putting yourself in a very dangerous place because Satan can greatly deceive you in that context. If you don't believe that, go ask the Church of Mormons about that. I don't mean that rudely I'm just being it seriously if your founder is seeking a vision God made sure or Satan made sure that he had a vision and it wasn't of God but in this moment God did speak through a vision God spoke in a supernatural way because God was doing something new amongst his people God spoke in a supernatural way because he was doing something that Peter and the apostles had never seen before they had never experienced before and we see throughout the scripture they certainly had not understood it before So God speaks through this vision. What does he do? The Bible says that Peter is there. He's in the city of Joppa. He is in the home of Simon the Tanner. He goes to the rooftop. It's the noontime. It's the time for prayer. And Peter, like us, in about 34 minutes, he's getting hungry, okay? He's getting hungry. And as he's hungry, he's praying. And as he's praying, the Bible says that he has a vision. And in that vision, he sees a blanket come down from the sky. And it comes down before him, but it's not just any blanket. It's a blanket that has animals on this blanket. Now, that, that blanket had hoofed animals, and it had animals that were crawling on the ground, and it had birds of all types, and it was a strange sight to behold. And I don't know about you, but if you're a hunter, I mean, this is like the best sweet dream you could possibly have, because then God says, get up, kill, and eat. And I'm like, sweet God, this is awesome, right? But not Peter. What does Peter say? Peter, get up, kill and eat. Peter says, nuh-uh. No, no, Lord, I, I can't do that. I can't get up and kill and eat. God, I can't do that. Why? He couldn't do that because of his tradition and his background. What God was calling him to do was different than anything he'd ever done before. What God was calling him to do was completely uncomfortable. What God was calling him to do was something he never imagined doing. It was new and different. Why? Because the Bible tells us and we understand from the Old Testament that the Jews had many dietary restrictions. There were certain meats that they called clean and certain meats they called unclean. There were certain meats they called holy and certain meats they called unholy. And so here is Peter, a Jew, and he's looking at his diet. But what he's not understanding right now is that God is not so much concerned about his diet as much as he is about the condition of his heart. And so he's looking at Peter and he's saying, Peter, he literally says, what you have called unclean, don't call it unclean any longer because what I cleanse, it is clean. Get up and eat is what he's saying. In other words, what I just simply want you to see is that in that moment, God gave Peter eyes to see that he was doing something. He was working in a new and unique way around him and in his life. While I am not suggesting this morning that we need a heavenly vision for everything that God will call us to do, I do want to say loud and clear this morning that I pray for us that God will give us spiritual eyes to see how he is at work around us and what he's wanting to do through us. Oftentimes in our life, frankly, we get so busy And we get so distracted, we get so caught up in all the different pursuits in life that we miss seeing what God is doing right in front of our faces. In fact, I would ask you this morning, what are some of the God moments in your life recently? What are some of the specific moments where God has been working and moving and showing you his hand at work? What are they? Who are some of the people that God's been bringing into your life for the purpose of relationship so that you might point them to Jesus. What are some of the specific needs that God has been making you aware of, maybe in your family or in the life of the church or in the community around you? What are some of those things? If you sit here this morning at a loss and an absence, you're not sure what those things are, I would suggest to you this morning that you need God's help that your eyes will be open to see the things that he's doing. God is always at work around us. God is always working and moving and bringing people into our lives and giving opportunities and making us aware of needs. And so daily, it needs to be our prayer. God, would you open my eyes to see the things that you would have me to see? In my time with the Lord, when I open God's word in the morning, most always, most of the time, my prayer begins that morning with a confession of sin. God, would you forgive me and cleanse me? God, that there would be nothing that would be a hindrance from what you are wanting me to do. But then my next prayer is, God, would you open my eyes to see right now in your word the things that you want me to see? God, as I, as I go to the store today or God, as I have these conversations today, as you order my steps, God, would you open my eyes to see how you're working and see how these relationships can, can point people to you? God, would you let me see where you're at work? Peter literally had a vision, and I pray that God would give us a vision clearly, spiritually, to see where and how he is at work. God is often showing us things though through what we see, so let's be faithful to live our life with open eyes to what he is calling us to do, that we would not miss what he's wanting to do. Not only did Peter understand God's calling through what he saw, but he also understood it through what he heard. Can you picture the scene for a moment? Peter has this vision. Suddenly, the Bible says he has this vision three times, and he says, Lord, I can't eat, and God says, I've already considered it clean, and as soon as the vision is gone, Peter hears something. What Peter hears are three men who are at the gate knocking and calling out and shouting, Peter, is there a guy named Peter around here? We, there was a vision. An angel talked to us and said to come to the Simon the Tanner's house. Peter, are you in there? Peter hears the practical voice of men. But then not only that, the Bible says that he hears the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, Peter, get up and go with these men because I've brought them here and go without any misgivings. In other words, don't doubt. Peter, don't delay. Peter, don't reason in your mind that this is some crazy thing. Peter, don't second guess what I'm doing. Get up and go with them. And then Peter comes downstairs. And the Bible says as Peter comes downstairs, he begins to have conversation with them. He says, I'm the one you're looking for, what is the reason for which you have come? He's asking. And then he hears practically what they explain. Hey, Cornelius, the centurion, our, our friend, our, our leader, uh, he had a vision from God and the angel spoke to him and said to call for you. And so what is Peter doing? Peter is simply hearing what God is doing. I'm convinced this morning that so often we, we walk around waiting kind of for God to let some opportunity fall from the sky in front of us. It's amazing, though, if we will have spiritual eyes to see and a sensitive ear to what God is wanting to do, how God will show us how he's at work around us. Even in this moment, as Peter practically asked the question, what would you have me to do for you? Why are you here? What's the purpose? What's the story? What's the reason? It's amazing as he asked the question, and they began to answer the question. We were divinely directed. This is what God is doing. How he becomes aware of how God is working and moving. I want to challenge you, even in your conversations with people, When you go to that restaurant or you go to that soccer field or you go to that, ask questions that allow people to talk and allow people to think and allow people to explain. Because in doing so, not only will you hear their answers, but if you will go with with a spiritual ear to listen, oftentimes God will give you opportunities and moments to point the conversation towards the gospel. It might be going to the restaurant and asking the waiter or the waitress, how can I pray for you today? It might be talking with that athlete after the practice and say, so what are you doing after the season's over? It might be talking to that coworker about that sudden tragedy that has happened and what that means and how life is so fragile. It might be in asking some of those questions that God begins to open doors not only to hear what they're saying but to hear what God is saying as he's giving you opportunities to speak and to share the gospel. So we must receive the call of God, which brings us to a third point. If you're still with me, would you say all right? We must respond with obedience. If you haven't heard anything else I've said this morning, it's really this next point that I want us to focus in on for the next several minutes. Look with me at verses 24 through 35, because here is Peter. Peter right now is at a uh, what Blackaby would call, Henry Blackaby would call, a crisis of belief. God is speaking is working. God is moving. God is doing something new. And Peter's at a place where he can either go forward with God or he can stay safe in his comfort zone. He's in a place where he can join God and be on mission with him, or frankly, he can stay callous and cold right where he's at. To be honest with you, I think that that's where many of us are at today. We're in this crisis of belief where we can be the witness that God's called us to be, Or we can miss out on what God's wanting to do. We can watch God work mightily in and through our life, teach us things that we would never known otherwise, bring spiritual fruit in our life. Or we can sit back callously and cold and refuse to grow and do anything. And sadly, many in the church today, many Christians in general, we we like to talk about the mission. We're excited. Oh, yes, we love it when people get saved. Oh, yes, we love it when people get baptized. We're so excited for these people taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And as a church, sometimes we get excited about missions. We amen missions. We want to be more missions minded. But personally, we never share the gospel. Personally, we never take the gospel, even across the street. And so often in the church today, we see missions as what happens when we pay the price. We get in a plane and we go overseas. But if missions is not first taking the gospel to our family and to our neighbors, something's wrong. And so in this moment, what's happening is is God is looking at Peter and he's saying, Peter, join me or not? Say yes or not. And so Peter's at this crisis of belief where God is calling him out to respond with obedience. Now, in this moment, I'm reminded very clearly of three things that I want us to pick up as we read through the text. Look with me at verse 23, the second part, and then verse 24. The Bible says, On the next day, he got up and he went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was waiting for them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up. I too am just a man. Don't worship me. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, Listen to this statement. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet, God has now shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came, listen to the statement. "'without even raising any objection when I was sent for "'So I ask, for what reason you have sent for me?' "'Cornelius gave the answer. Four days ago to this hour, "'I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, "'and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. "'And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, "'your alms have been remembered before God. "'Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, "'who's called Peter, to come to you. "'He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea.' So Cornelius confesses, I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we're all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Opening his mouth, Peter said, listen to this statement, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Church, if we are going to embrace the mission, we must respond with obedience. But there are three things from these verses that I want us to see about that response. Number one, I want you to consider its discomfort. Its discomfort. I think one of the major challenges to the church in our culture today of truly embracing the mission to be the light that God has called us to be stands in this first point. It is uncomfortable. And frankly, many times we value our comfort over obeying the Lord. To obey God is often putting us in a place of discomfort. It's putting us in a place of inconvenience. But here's the reality. God didn't call us to be comfortable, but he does call us to be obedient. Because in the discomfort, it's there that we learn to look to the Lord. It's there in those moments of discomfort where I realize the powers of God, not of me. It's there in the discomfort that God causes me to realize I can't do this on my own. I need God's help. I need His direction. I need His words. I need Him to move. Can I just say, even yesterday when I was at that wedding and that gentleman began asking me questions and I began to talk, there was a discomfort for me. And the Lord has given me numerous opportunities to share the gospel. But as I shared with Him, I found myself mindful of who else was around and what they were hearing and how I was saying it and. It was uncomfortable in that moment. Peter's in this place where God is calling him and God is working, God is moving, but frankly, it was uncomfortable. And for this reason, we often miss out on what God is doing. We prefer to stay in the safe, easy, shallow waters of life with the false illusion that we are in control and that as long as we can stay in the easy baby pool, that the potential outcomes are certain and predictable. But God does not want us to stay in the shallow waters dependent upon self. He calls us out further to places that we would have never dared to venture on our own. So what is God doing? God's getting Peter uncomfortable. Think about how God did this. God had Peter leave his home and go to another city named Joppa. Not only that, but God gets Peter in the city of Joppa and he tells Peter, Peter, the door I'm going to open for you is the home of Simon the Tanner. Think about this for a moment. A tanner in that day basically worked with animal hides and animal skins to make products like leather and other things. In other words, in Jewish culture, interestingly, a tanner was considered unclean because of the way that he held carcasses and had to deal with blood and all those different things. So God says, Peter, I want you to leave your home. I'm going to take you to Joppa. Great. Now that you're there, I'm going to put you in the home of a man who's unclean awesome. Now that you're there praying at the noon hour, I'm going to give you a vision and I'm going to tell you, to you what's the difference between clean and what is unclean. And he gives him this vision. And then God gives him a message. Now, Peter, there's three guys. I know you don't know them, but I want you to get up and go with them. God's making him uncomfortable. Now picture that for just a moment. Let me just kind of give a 2019 illustration. What would that look like today if I'm preaching right now, we're in the middle of our worship service right here, and all of a sudden, Three guys walk up to the back door outside right here, and they start banging on the doors. Pastor Matt, Pastor Matt, come out now. We need to talk to you. But depending on how bad they're banging and how loud their tone is, I'm probably be honest with you. I'm not going outside that door, right? Unless I'm packing heat. I mean, that's about it, right? Like, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. But let's say I have this moment of courage and boldness. I'll walk out the door, and I'm like, yes, gentlemen, can I help you? And then I quickly notice these boys ain't from around here. And I notice their accent is really, really, really thick, and I don't understand it very well. But what I do see is that the third is an armed soldier, a choice soldier of a well-known centurion. And they look at me and they say to me, Pastor Matt, you must come with us now. We have a friend that would like to talk to you. I mean, just to be honest, I'm like, You know what, let me go ask my wife about that for a minute. You know, like, let me see what Heather thinks about it. You know, I I might even sound spiritual. Guys, you know, let me pray about it first. God, please don't let me, you know, like, I I mean, I I might even look over at my shoulder and say, you know what, Pastor Scott looks more like Jesus. Why don't y'all take him? He'll go with (laughs) y'all, but, right? Uncomfortable. That's how I'd be, right? That's how you would be. God is getting Peter at a place where he's completely uncomfortable. And that's exactly where God wanted him. The second thing I want you to see is its demand. To respond in obedience, it demands something of us. For Peter to respond in obedience, for him to get up and go, it demanded something. There was no way he could do it without one thing. That one thing is simple and yet as profound and as powerful. That demand is this it demanded faith faith can be described as confident obedience to God's word in spite of the consequences. Peter's in this moment where he doesn't fully understand all that God is doing. He hasn't been able to make sense of it all yet. He's got these three guys here and they're telling him supposedly the story about this messenger that came from heaven. It was a divine direction. Please come. And it demanded incredible faith. And so literally he gives the answer. He says, listen, God has now shown me that I should not call any man unholy and unclean. That's why I came without raising any objection. Here's a question for us this morning. Can it be said of us that we are obeying and following God without any objection? Somebody, I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. I am saved. Can it be said of us that we are fulfilling our mission and our purpose and taking the good news of the gospel to others without any objection. Peter says, I'm here. I'll come without any objection. But it's so crazy to me. In this process, Peter reveals something that's, that's it's almost humorous, but it shows us the fact that this was requiring faith. So, see, oftentimes we come to God with our, with our kind of like... Uh, situations and circumstances, but we come to God with kind of our conditions, if you will. We're like, God, you know what? God, if you'll spell it out for me, I'll do it. God, if you will just give me the next 50 steps, I'm all in, you know? God didn't look at Peter and say, hey, Peter, get out your pencil. Write all this down. I'm going to lead you step by step by step. I'm going to tell you everything you need to know right now. That's not what God did. God led Peter one step at a time. Why did God lead him one step at a time? Because God wanted Peter to depend upon him and walk by faith. So often we, oh, well, God, if you just give give me the whole thing, I'm good. No, 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 no. God wants us to walk step by step in faith and obedience to him. If we cannot obey God with the next step, don't ever think you'll obey him with the next 50. So in this moment, Peter gets to Cornelius' house, and then he asks them a question, which it's almost humorous, right? He asks them a question, literally, he says, why am I here? Like, why have you called for me? And I'm, I'm laughing. Like, I'm sitting here like, how does he not know this? Peter, they didn't bring you here to teach them lessons on fishing, okay? You know, like, th- th- we certainly didn't bring you here to teach us social graces. I mean, come on, guy who always sticks your foot in your mouth and is very impulsive. That's not why they brought you here. They didn't bring you here to teach him how to use a sword in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's not why you're here, Peter. Like, Peter, we brought you here for one reason. We need to hear about this man named Jesus. So, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that this demanded that Peter had to walk by faith, step by step, moment by moment, trusting God one step at a time. I want to remind every single one of us this morning as it relates to walking by faith and living in faith. Literally, the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7 reminds us that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. Its demand is that it required faith. But third, I want you to see quickly, and I've got to close here in a moment. I want you to see its discovery. What happens when we respond to God's call with obedience? The simple answer is we discover some things about God. We discover some things about ourselves. We discover some things that we wouldn't have known otherwise. I find it so interesting because the mission was clear. Peter was being called to take the gospel message, in this case, to Cornelius and to the Gentiles that were there in his home in that moment. God was doing something new and God was doing something profound and powerful. Yes, God had a mission for him. But before God had even a message to be uttered from his mouth, God had something for Peter to learn and to discover. What does he say in verse 34? Opening his mouth, Peter didn't first tell them the gospel. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. So pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying this simple fact. If Peter had not been willing to get out of his comfort zone and to walk by faith, he would have never learned and discovered this truth that God revealed to him. But I'm also saying this morning that before God had a message for him to deliver, God also had a message for him to receive. You know, it's been my experience. I'm so thankful for the testimonies of Al and for Amy and for others in the team that I've been able to speak with, it has been my experience that most of the time when we get burdened about sharing the gospel and we get burdened about joining the Lord on mission, we get burdened about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, most of the time we get burdened about that. We think about the needs of others and we think about the benefit of others. We think about the way people will respond and what God is wanting to do over there. And so we put our yes on the table and we'll give it to the Lord and we'll go to great sacrifices and we'll give of our time and our resources, our energies, and we'll go and we'll go to do it. But it's been my experience that nearly every time we often go to give a blessing but instead guess what happens first? God works in our own hearts and lives. We end up being the one being blessed. God ends up in that process as we put our yes on the table. God, yes, I'll go bless them. We've got to do that. But what happens in the process is that God works in our own heart and life. God reveals what he's doing in our own heart. He begins to disclose himself to us. And God begins to teach us things about himself that we would have never known otherwise. Peter, does God have a mission for you? Yes. Peter, is there a message of the gospel to be shared? Yes. But please don't forget that it was in the process that it was God was also working in him to teach him and to mold him and to shape him. So often in our Christian circles, we're wanting some new truth. God, give me some new discovery. God, give me some new lesson. God, give me some new thing without even realizing we are missing out on God's blessing because we're not obeying him with what he's already called us to do. Have faith and be obedient and be willing, be surrendered. And as you walk in what he's called you to do, we begin to realize he teaches us and he molds us and he allows us to discover things that we would have never known otherwise. Which brings us to the fourth point. Now wrap up quickly, what's the result of it all? What's the end result? The end result is this. When we walk in faith and obey God and share the gospel, joining him, embracing him on mission, we will rejoice in what the Lord does. Let the text speak for itself. Let's read together verses 36 through 45. Peter begins to explain. Remember Cornelius, the Gentile, the religious man? He was religious, but he didn't have any peace with God. He didn't know exactly who Jesus was. So where did Peter begin? Verse 36. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is what? Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible. Not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. You know what Peter's saying? Peter's saying, listen, Jesus, guys, is Lord over all. It doesn't matter if you're Jew. It doesn't matter if you're Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're white. It doesn't matter if you're black. It doesn't matter if you're old. It doesn't matter if you're... Jesus is Lord over all, and here's how we know. We know by his miracles, his power. We know by his death and his resurrection we know by the witnesses, guys. We, we walked with Jesus and talked to them after he rose again. Just ask any of us. We'll tell you all about it. We know that Jesus is Lord of all. Verse 42, he ordered us to preach to the people to solemnly testify that this is the one who's been appointed by God as judge of the living and of the dead. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through him, through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Can you imagine the joy in Cornelius' heart in that moment? Cornelius had pursued all the false religions of the Gentiles. He knew those things wouldn't satisfy. Cornelius has been studying the religion of the Jews to try to understand who God really is, but he hadn't yet found out, how can I be forgiven of my sins? How can I be at peace with God? How can I know my soul is saved and my life is changed? And here comes Peter. Here's the good news. I want you to know, Cornelius, It's in the name of Jesus that all your sins can be forgiven. It's in the name of Jesus that you can be at peace with God. Cornelius, it's in the name of Jesus you can be saved. You and all your household, just believe in Jesus. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were what? They were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. In the following verses, we find they were also baptized as a demonstration of what God had done in their heart and life when they were saved and they were changed. Say, Pastor, what are you saying today? Peter stood that day and he preached in Acts chapter 4, chapters before, that there is only one name under heaven by which men can be saved, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 10, Peter looked at the Gentiles. The Gentiles, frankly, who many of the Jews despised, they looked down upon them. They saw them as unclean, as less than. But on that day, God looked at Peter, and he said, Peter, no longer called unclean what I've called clean. The Gentiles are not less than. They are not to be despised. They are people that I've created. Not only, Peter, have I created them, but my son Jesus I sent him to the cross to die on the cross for their sins just like I died for your sins, Peter. I rose again. Jesus rose again from the grave so that there would be forgiveness of their sins just like there's forgiveness of your sins, Peter. And so Peter declared to them, I want you to know all mankind can be saved and can be forgiven because of the work that Jesus has done. That day, Cornelius and his entire household, everyone that had gathered in that room that day believed in Jesus, they were saved, they were baptized, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, the truth of the matter is, when many people think of great moves of God, they think of various revivals throughout the history of the church. They think through about the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 souls were saved and lives were changed. But can I say to you, one of the greatest moves of God that happened in the New Testament began in Acts chapter 10. In the privacy of Cornelius' home, as they heard the gospel... They responded by faith, and they were saved. And the truth be told is that today, all these years later, 2019, today, every time the gospel is proclaimed and a person believes in Jesus and they're saved, God is still building. He's still adding to that church. He's still building and creating that church to be what he wants to be. In other words, this morning, I want to challenge you to greatly consider two things this morning. The first thing I ask you to consider is this. Do you know without a doubt that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Or, Or are you like Cornelius? Decent? Religious? Maybe even curious? But you don't know Christ as your Lord. Where do you stand? But secondly, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've been forgiven and you've been saved, I challenge you not only to remember how the good news got to you, but I challenge you to examine what you are willing to do to take the good news to others. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time. I pray, God, today that we would embrace the mission that you've called us to. That we would embrace the mission, Father, of taking the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. That souls will be saved, lives will be changed, people will be baptized. They'd grow to be made disciples, fully devoted followers of you. Father, I thank you for the ways you're working in our hearts and lives. I pray, God, today that we would be obedient and we would respond in faith and in surrender. Lord, I realize that's uncomfortable. I realize for some that might be very costly. But I pray, God, that we'd be willing to give our lives wholeheartedly to you, knowing that you have given your life wholeheartedly for us. We love you and praise you right now. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.